I think we're not going to, we won't see innovation slow down in this space. We're going to see more innovation. And mm. I think about now what's happening in the chip domain and new kind of processor chips being developed that specialize in enabling or being facilitation of artificial intelligence more on a neural network type side. I think we'll see more of that. And I think what we'll see is we'll also see this expansion and move from just CPU, GPU, yep. probably into quantum computing as well, as that starts to become more commercially available uh, mm -hmm. to more and more customers at an affordable price. Um, but again, this links back to your other question, your other fantastic question around green computing, because there is going to be a balance here between, um, you know, compute power mm -hmm. and services um and kind of the affordability on the price point because what we know and we're going to see is we're going to see lots of more um hungry processes especially in that artificial intelligence space mm -hmm. so how can we consciously balance out and this comes back to just having a really good strategy for your technology implementation and your and your business as a whole if you've got a really good strategy that looks at all of these kind of key pillars, you know, uh, cost to implement, return on investment, ethical considerations, environmental considerations, you know, and, and future operating kind of overheads. I think what you'll see is you'll see the, the evolution of cloud technologies facilitate a lot more of this as a whole. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper. Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of a head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. My guest today is an innovator, a highly acclaimed speaker, and is known as a trailblazer in his field. He is fundamentally results-driven and clearly passionate about technology. This is shown in his commitment to deliver solutions that transform customers' businesses. We're going to talk about technology, emerging technologies, and the cloud. But before we get into that, here's a brief message. This episode is sponsored by Axia. Axia is the leading private cloud platform in the Alessian and Matamos ecosystem, combining intelligent solutions with security and control. Axia's clients profit from digitalization and automation of critical business processes in a cloud and hybrid architecture. 150 staff provide migration, engineering, and support services to over 200 leading organizations in 32 countries. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle Schwitter. Paul O'Sullivan is the UK and Ireland Chief Technology Officer and Senior Vice President Solutions Engineering for Salesforce. His focus is on delivering the best solutions to customers and unlocking future growth and efficiency. Before joining Salesforce, Paul spent five years as Managing Director with Accenture, working cross-industry, growing the software engineering business. 
Prior to that, Paul spent a decade in financial services, starting at Monetize, the first mobile banking platform, which served a majority of retail banks in the UK and the prepaid businesses in the US. Paul moved to RBS Group and subsequently HSBC, where he led a number of digital transformation projects. Let's have a conversation now. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Paul to Headstore. Delighted to have you here today. Thank you, Elaine, and thank you for having me today. It's brilliant to be here. Let's get right into this with, with a, a further introduction to your role in Salesforce and how was the Dreamforce 2023? I know um, our conversation was delayed as a result, so it would be interesting for you to share with me and my listeners the results and takeaways from um, this extraordinary event. Yeah, absolutely. And it's an absolute pleasure to be able to share this. I mean, Dreamforce was the AI event of the year. Um, and for those that aren't aware, Dreamforce is Salesforce's annual conference. And mm-hmm. last year, or this year, should I say, it took place in San Francisco uh, between the 12th and the 14th of September. Mm-hmm. Um, Dreamforce, as I said, was one of the largest AI events uh, ever. We featured over 75 AI thought leaders, mm-hmm. from research to innovators to deep experts in the field, we had over 70 AI-focused sessions and immersive AI kind of walkthroughs in our campground. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some phenomenal speakers join us, including the CEO of OpenAI, Sam Altman, um, and Dario, the CEO of Antropics. Um, it, right. it, it comprised of around 40,000 attendees. Um, <laughs> and the key takeaway right. is all about AI. Um, the AI revolution that we're in at the moment is um, phenomenal um, and it's a very exciting time at Salesforce. I, I sort of enviously followed the hashtag Dreamforce 2023 on LinkedIn and saw the great event thinking how wonderful and how amazing all of this um, was for you. Um, you must have all left with amazing buzz. What was your personal takeaway from this? Yeah, I, I, I mean, the energy was phenomenal. Um it was great not just to have our partners, our customers, but our trailblazer community there as well. Um, mm-hmm. the, the real interesting insight for me is um, we're in this kind of AI has been around for a while, right? We've had predictive uh, AI. We're now moving into this phase of generative AI. And that comes with it a lot of considerations, um, not just for us as an organization, but our companies. Mm-hmm. Um, I truly believe that this will create a completely new way to connect with our customers in a whole new way and our customers to connect with theirs likewise. Mm-hmm. Um, but it comes with significant considerations. Um, trust mm-hmm. is an absolute important imperative when we think about artificial intelligence and putting it to use. But then I think we also need to think about um, the human in the loop um, and actually how do we actually develop the new skills moving forward for future generations to really embrace artificial intelligence. So two key kind of insights for me but there was lots to unpack from Dreamforce. I can imagine I can imagine thanks for that and I am hope my listeners are quite satisfied with the information you've delivered if not I would put a link in so that um, they can actually find out more details about this. Um, this current series on Headstock is all about the cloud um, so I want to dive straight in and talk about um, your cloud products um, first, enlighten my listeners to Salesforce cloud products, and then let's talk about uh, the USPs of some of them. For instance, you know, Sales Cloud, Analytics Cloud, etc. Over to you, Paul. Yeah, I, I, so, so Salesforce um, 
within Salesforce, we've got a number of different technologies that enable our customers um, to engage, interact, uh, and, and actually really supercharge their business. So mm -hmm. if we just think about Sales Cloud as an example, and we think about the, the need for organizations to be able to capture customer records, um, connections, obviously the clues in the name around customer relationships, mm -hmm. um, and being able to manage those with the opportunities on how we can serve those customers well. Right, so that's from opportunity all the way through the process of a sales journey, mm -hmm. and then when we think about service cloud, you know, service cloud for me is all about, you know, it's about how can we make sure that we continue to maintain and service our customers, mm -hmm. whether they've bought a product or a service off of us, or mm -hmm. whether we're providing um, a service to them in the field. So, you know, imagine a, a world where, you know, every business typically has a contact center to mm -hmm. be able to allow customers to interact, to mm -hmm. connect with them, um, whether that is they're looking for um, clarity or information about the next suite of products or a renewal on a contract or something like that. Um, now, Service Cloud can facilitate all of that need and actually do so in a really, really intelligent way. Mm -hmm. So, Contact center agents typically need to know a breadth and depth of the business, the products and services, but then they also need to understand the customer that's phoning up and what the query might be that that customer might have. So Service Cloud makes sure that we, we, we surface all of the re relevant information for that customer in the moment, mm -hmm. as well as applied intelligence on top of that, where our Einstein capability to be able to then say, actually, based on what we know about this customer, we think there's a next best action, or we think that there might be something that we might be able to do to really, really delight that customer. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously that's sales, that's service, but within Salesforce, we have an extensive portfolio. So we've also got marketing cloud mm -hmm. where we can reach our customers and interact with our customers, make sure that we're servicing them with the relevant information at the right time that's personalized to them and understands what they're going through in the moment, but also to create awareness around campaigns, initiatives that organizations might have to enable our, our customers to connect with their customers in a new way. Mm -hmm. And then commerce cloud, mm -hmm. clearly businesses still need to sell products and digital transformation and the digital kind of revolution that we've all gone on over the last decade has meant that um, no longer do we have you know, physical retail stores but we also have to have that digital store and a digital presence. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, our commerce cloud solutions offer everything from servicing uh, and putting on the web the products and services that we want to sell all the way through to OMS, mm -hmm. order management systems, order fulfillment, and the, all the back office mm -hmm. uh, processes being handled and taken care of. Um, and then beyond that, you know, at Salesforce, we've got, we know that it's really complicated and lots of customers have got, uh, tremendously large enterprise IT estates. Yep. You've got to be able to connect all of this um, and bring it together. So we've obviously got MuleSoft in our portfolio of products as well, where we mm -hmm. can bring that into integration together in the most seamless way. And then for collaboration and automation uh, on how you communicate with some of those customers or even internally within your organizations, we've got Slack as well. So a full, a full breath <laughs> and sweat there of... Uh, all of the uh, capability that Salesforce can offer. Excellent. I think that's pretty comprehensive. I, 
I saw this from a presentation given by the CEO, Mark Benioff. Um, never heard of this terminology before. So King, for you to shed some light on this, what is the false cloud? The false cloud? Yes. Um, well, I've, 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 got a, I've got a kind of point of view or a perspective on the false cloud. And I, th I think that is, when we think about we think about, and, and this is a personal point of view, so obviously I won't, I won't reference Mark, but when I think about um, customers going through their transformations mm -hmm. and we think about what cloud technology more broadly can do to help organizations transform, mm -hmm. you know, the, we, we've gone through this over, a, over the last decade. Mm -hmm. Cloud technologies came available and cloud compute power came available and what we saw was a lot of customers just taking existing applications from their estate and doing kind of a lift and shift. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not optimal. That's not efficient. And it's not really going to give you the savings that you'd imagine when you go through your transformation. So for me, I think that for me represents the false cloud, where what you should be doing when you're embracing cloud technologies is really looking at that, that transformation that you're going for, right? Whether that is streamlining your procedures and your processes, whether it is a reduced TCO, so taking cost out from, from a hosting capability. Um, but what you should be looking to do when we leverage cloud and we mm -hmm. take that wise pivot into cloud technologies is we should be looking to say, well, actually, how am we going to optimize and, and take this as an opportunity to really optimize my efficiency within my organization and fully embark on that transformation. It's too easy to just lift and shift and move. We've got to modernize and we've got to continue to offer our customers something that pushes the boundary um, and really helps with their commercial growth or their cost takeout or whatever their kind of strategic priorities are. Okay. That's good. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, let's look at one of the current and pressing topics of the day with a sort of a cloud spin on it. Um, is there such a thing as green cloud computing credentials or ratings? I mean, are customers talking, asking about this? And interestingly, is this potentially a deal breaker in the future for providers if not done right? You know, customers are getting more savvy in particular. So, Paul, what, what say you? Yeah, I, I think this is um, I think this is a really interesting topic because um, when we look at ESG, you know, and the environmental considerations when we think about cloud computing, mm -hmm. but then we also take that into the the whole practices of an of an organisation more widely and the ambition to try and um, you know be carbon neutral or mm -hmm. you know be really considerate around green computing. Yep. Um, I genuinely think this is going to be an interesting, we're going to see an interesting wave here over the next decade um, and, and more so in the next kind of two to three years. Mm. Because when we think about, and there's a connection here, Elaine, so just bear with me. When we think about the AI revolution and we think about some of these large language models that are now being produced and the benefits on a productivity and efficiency gain that they will have within a customer's organization, we already know that we can we can service more calls for customers coming through those contact center routes, et cetera. We can see about a 27% improvement when generative AI is applied in that space. Mm -hmm. However, 
this is where the consideration comes in because that's a great news like that's a great headline story 25% productivity and efficiency gain great stuff but if that comes at a cost of high computing um you know computation should i say if that comes at that cost and you're burning burning more energy to be able to get to that outcome it just doesn't feel balanced right you you've you you haven't offset anything you've just shifted mm. from one thing to the other mm. now this is where if we're really smart and we think about green computing um then the opportunity this presents if we can create large language models in that ai domain that very directly respond to the needs that that customer has without the heavy computation and energy consumption mm-hmm. we're kind of keeping it balanced right so this is like that that is a looking at the end to end for me the value chain of not just the cost to train the model um but actually the impl- or sort of should i say the implementation effort associated with it Mm-hmm. And then taking that all the way through to the ROI that you get in the contact center with, with the agents answering the calls and the productivity game. If you can look at that, we're going to see a lot more green computing because at the moment we're looking at the stuff on the right, not necessarily the stuff on the left when it actually takes to build these things. Mm-hmm. And actually when that consideration comes in, I think we'll have huge, you know, we'll have a three, four X saving but that's that's where we've got to be really conscious. And that, that boils down to developer practices as well. So mm-hmm. engineers in the field being able to write code in a energy consum- uh, in a less energy mm-hmm. consumption manner, ultimately. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks for that. Um, I'm keen to get your contribution on the following. Um, this question has been presented to all the guests in the series. And they have come up with completely different answers, depending on who you ask. So um, I'm interested to hear what you've got to say on this one. So if I say next generation cloud, what does that mean to you? So this is um, th- th- this is an interesting one for me. And, and I've heard some of the other listeners and, and kind of the thoughts and feedback. Mm-hmm. When I think about how cloud has evolved over the years, um, you know, we've we've the opportunity's been there on the new commercial models between, um, you know, pay as you consume versus SaaS-based consumption models, etc. But actually, I think then when we look at the technology, we've seen a lot evolve over the last five to ten years, where you know there was compute power available via the cloud, but then we got really smart on saying, you know, containerization, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, functions as a service, etc., which actually means that it's become smaller mm-hmm. elements of consumption over time. Now, this is for me. This is going to be interesting because I think when we look forward to the future, um, I think we're not going to. We, we won't see innovation slow down in this space. We're going to see more innovation, and mm-hmm. I think about now what's happening in the chip domain and new kind of processor chips being developed that specialize in enabling or being facilitation of artificial intelligence more on a neural network type side i think we'll see more of that and i think what we'll see is we'll also see this expansion and move from just cpu gpu probably into quantum computing as well as that starts to become more commercially available 
to more and more customers at an affordable price. Um, but again, this links back to your other question, your other fantastic question around green computing, because there is going to be a balance here between, um, you know, compute power mm -hmm. and services um, and kind of the affordability on the price point. Because what we know and we're going to see is we're going to see lots of more um, hungry processes, especially in that artificial intelligence space. Mm -hmm. So how can we consciously balance out? And this comes back to just having a really good strategy for your technology implementation and your, and your business as a whole. Mm -hmm. If you've got a really good strategy that looks at all of these kind of key pillars, you know, uh, cost to implement, return on investment, ethical considerations, environmental considerations, you know, and, and future operating kind of overheads, I think what you'll see is you'll see the, the evolution of cloud technologies facilitate a lot more of this as a whole. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, there's a lot to unpack in that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You've taken me back on this one, but thank you for that. Fantastic. I'm, I'm going to replay that one again. <laughs> oh, listen on that one. Thanks for that. Okay. There's a, there's a, there's a question I want to ask pertaining to that, but I'm going to leave that to the end, near the end, because it is more fitting and it fits with the last question. So, but in the in the meantime, I'm going to ask a question that I'm quite interested in. This is a question I really want to know the answer to, because this is in my research in, in leading up to the, the episode recording. I noticed a few things um, about the difference with the sales force of yesteryear, because I'm a little bit older than well, I'm not a Gen Z, put it that way. So I remember Salesforce of years gone by to your Salesforce today. So with all the morphing of services and offerings and technology and, and the introduction of new products after new products, should Salesforce rebrand itself? Ah. Uh, gotcha. That's, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a very, very uh, good question. I, it's, it's interesting because I think... Um, I think when I when I look at kind of what's available, um, there is so much. And I then look and I reflect on how our customers are using our products and services. Um, the, the thing in, in business is all about how can we provide a world-class service to our customers and do so in a way that's unique, fitting with our customers and is actually um really kind of provides us a differentiation and i think this is really interesting because now more than ever i'm excited about salesforce and our technologies because the opportunity to connect sales service marketing commerce uh and the full breadth of our products using data cloud mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. create a really true unified view of our customers I think that is 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 the thing that is going to push us forward as an organization over the next kind of five, 10 years, because what that offers to our customers is something where our customers can connect the dots like they've never done before and really kind of yeah. drive insights to say, well, how can I engage with those, those customers in a new way or upsell or cross-sell or just serve them better? And I think it still comes back down to, I think Salesforce is a brand that's well-recognized um, 
And I think this is, uh, I, I would say, you know, we are absolutely the number one CRM globally. Mm-hmm. We want to be in the future, the number one AI CRM. Mm-hmm. offering kind of bringing our core values really to kind of the table with our customers and, and trust is, is one of our core values and we know that with ai you are going to have to implement it in a trusted and ethical way um but i think this is the thing when we look at our footprint globally salesforce is a phenomenal brand i think you know we could rename anything to be anything but at the heart of it is our customers and we've mm. just got to make sure that we make that relevant connection. Uh, yeah, I think what remains and what is constant is that um, throughout the whole thing, you know, Salesforce is pretty much customer obsessed. So Absolutely. that remains. And, and I, I, well, I think that's uh, it, putting the, like you just said, put the customer at the heart of everything we do. And if we think, if we think back over the years, right, customers' expectations have shifted. Our customers, well our customers customers expect more Mm -hmm. right if you you did a a beautiful intro of of myself um coming into the call if i if i think back to my earlier parts of my career when i worked at monetize and we think about mobile and the mobile revolution Mm -hmm. um it was really interesting because nobody really knew that they wanted to access their their bank account on their mobile phone (laughs) um so to be able to challenge that domain and bring something new and then see the exponential growth that yeah. you have with it is really cool. And I look at Salesforce, we do that, right? We look and we challenge ourselves on, okay, great. Our customers are interacting in the products and services yeah. because the layout is the layout or because the features are the features and they really enrich the offering and the interaction with the customers. But we keep challenging ourselves and saying, okay, well, what, what comes next? What's the next killer thing that the customers will yeah. want that they just don't know they, yes, they want yes, yet? That's it. And, and that's how we stay in front. Let's end this episode of Ed's Talk with this question. I don't want to end the episode, but I have to. Um, <laughs> what do you think will be the topic of the day in two to five years' time within the field of cloud computing? Remember your fantastic definition or your understanding of next generation cloud. It'd be nice to know What's your answer with this one? I I think we're going to be, I I think the future holds a very, very connected world. I think, um, and I think this is where my hypothesis, and this is a hypothesis, we're going to see more and more industries converge or overlap through this level of connection that we're going to see. And the, the reason I say this is, you know, I, I've spoken to a lot of customers. And if I think about artificial intelligence combined with a, an automotive vehicle, and mm-hmm. we think about the world of the autonomous vehicle, mm-hmm. all right, the question that kind of strikes me is, who do you insure in the future? Do you insure the driver who is no longer kind of in control? Do you insure the automotive company? Or do you insure the software developer? And in theory, you probably, to some extent, underwrite everybody involved in that to to some magnitude of risk. And actually, when you think about autonomous vehicles and you think about connected worlds and, you know, traffic light systems and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, delivery with drones, Mm -hmm. I think we're going to see a world where we're going to be a lot more 
intelligent, I think it will really push the evolution of the environment that we live in today um, to completely new experiences. And that's going to be really interesting because with new experiences and and potentially even freeing up time because of the productivity and efficiency we get, I think that's where we're going to see a consumer shift and we're going to want more. Consumers have continuously wanted more, more interaction, more engagement, more access to information. Mm-hmm. And with that, underpinned by technology, you know, we're going to have to be smarter around our data centers. We're gonna to have to be smarter around how we connect devices to drive more meaningful experiences for our customers. So I, I think we're gonna see um, a really, I think we've got a really exciting kind of 10 years of transformation in front of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't see it slowing down whatsoever at the moment. I think it's going pretty too fast. Don't you find it's going a bit too fast at the moment? Yeah, I, I think that I think the learning journey and, and you know, I, I talk to a lot of my team. I've got over 300 engineers, yeah. you know, and we talk about the need to continuously be learning and developing mm-hmm. and, and, you know, striving to to challenge ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it is hard. The pace at the moment is exceptionally hard. I won't lie. Um, but I think this is where I think this is where human nature comes in. Yeah. We learn so much more from each other. And mm-hmm. if we can keep the dialogue going and, you know, and you and I can talk again in six to 12 months, you will probably, um, the world has shifted quite a bit and we'll probably learn a bit more from each other again. We will do. I think it was interesting in your answer when you talked about autonomous vehicle. And I was wondering, will that sort of blur the lines of accountability when you say, who do we blame if something goes wrong? Uh, isn't that isn't that what's going to happen throughout the blurring of the lines of accountability, and then therefore no one's accountable? Yeah, I I I think it's a really um, interesting kind of philosophical point of view, um, and 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 it's philosophical at this moment, but it will very quickly become really practical, right? Yes. It will become something that we'll need to really consider. There is. Um, you know, in the situation, you know, where something happens mm-hmm. uh, and the question comes up as to kind of who's at fault, the challenge in all of this stuff is, I think for me, it's how potentially in that kind of autonomous and, and automated manner mm-hmm. around using the artificial intelligence, what needs to be really clear is what's the data that has gone into training that model and actually, when we think about the engineer and the, at the end of the keyboard, what level of decisions did they make ethically when they went through the refinement process to be able to say whether or not um, one thing is the right decision versus another decision to be able to programmatically get that outcome? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think as long as organizations can be able to drive an audit trail all the way back to that because you know mistakes will will probably mistakes will undoubtedly happen but if we can understand the audit trail we can learn we can evolve and we can adapt and i think that's what's going to be really key and it's also you know very much linked to our kind of our our process within salesforce yep. um when we launched um ai cloud and our einstein platform capabilities um, we developed what we call our um, Einstein trust layer. 
And our trust layer takes into consideration everything from being able to securely retrieve the data that will will go into the model right. to then go through a process of being able to identify personalized identifiable information and mask that information. Mm-hmm. And then we work with large language models or AI algorithms. We'll work with ones that offer zero retention. So yeah. they're not actually storing um, any of the information that's being passed through. And when we get that generated response back, we take it, we take it through toxicity and bias detection. So we can actually then determine whether or not it has hallucinated or created a problem. And then we'll have a complete audit trail from the data used to the, to the, you know, the, the large language model and the version number that was used to generate the response and what the toxicity detection kind of identified. So we can see in that audit trail, if the human in the loop determines that they don't want to pass that generated message back to that customer, we can actually then see and check, take the audit and then refine the model so it is suitable. And I think that's where, you know, autonomous vehicles, at that point, you've still got somebody behind the steering wheel. There's a question to me still around, do you still allow the human to take over at that last minute? Um, yeah. Should it should there be something that be a fault? But I think we need to, this is, this is in a really evolving space. And I think we're going to see a lot more evolve. And, and we're going to have to learn and refine as we kind of go through this process ultimately. Excellent. And there's a layer which we're not going to talk about, which is the legal layer um, with all of this. So, so that's, as you say, that is evolving. And, you know, maybe next time if we talk, we can include that in the conversation. But for now, Paula Sullivan, a thoroughly insightful conversation today on Headstore. Many thanks for your time and insights. No, thank you. Thank you very much, Elaine. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.